Simon Hill and John Cosmina in Doha for today's edition of the Global Game at the World Cup on a day when the Socceroos face their date with destiny against Argentina in the round of 16 at the FIFA World Cup. We'll look back in detail as to what happened at the Ahmed bin Ali Stadium and also review the other knockout tie between the Netherlands and the USA and also look ahead to the two ties tomorrow. But we kick things off as per usual with our hot topic for Guzman y Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. And our topic today comes on the back of a quite remarkable conclusion to the group stage, in particular the section involving Spain, Japan, Costa Rica and Germany. Have we ever seen a finish quite like that? At one point, both Spain and Germany were heading for the exit door, only for the Germans to come to Spain's rescue, even though they weren't able to save themselves. It all made for quite brilliant drama, and begs the question as to why FIFA would want to change a format that had people around the world captivated. But of course, change is exactly what they're bringing in as of 2026. Instead of the mathematically logical 32 teams, we're moving up to 48. The numerically simple eight groups of four will shift to 16 groups of three. Teams will play one game fewer, the top two advancing to a knockout round of 32. So the risk of collusion between teams will increase, you'd think, in the shortened group phase, which will be played in 24 cities across three countries, the USA, Mexico and Canada. And to try and combat that fear, FIFA say they are considering replacing draws with penalty shootouts. Quite how that will help, I'm not sure. This is all about money, of course, though the pressure that is starting to be exerted on FIFA means they are now considering 12 four-team groups although that would extend the tournament and mean eight third best teams going through. Now, by contrast, there wasn't a single dead rubber in the final round of matches here in Qatar, a situation that excited fans and produced great theatre. In its bid to raise revenues, FIFA is going to tinker with a format that works brilliantly. Personally, I think that's a great pity. What about you, Cozzy? It's more than a great pity, Simon. It's a disgrace. Yeah. Um, to be honest, look, there wasn't just the group you mentioned before. You know, the, the Switzerland Uruguay group as well it was incredible football. The drama last night was was unbelievable. It was just really, really good to watch. It, look, bringing more teams in, all it's going to do is keep. Um, I guess it will get more executive votes for FIFA. But what it's going to do is actually dilute um, the, the. I guess they call it a talent pool, but the, the pool of quality. Yeah. And. We've seen it's taken some teams in this instance, and once again, it could be because of the circumstances of this World Cup. It's taken them a couple of games to, to really find their form, but when they have found it, it's been substantial. It's, it's really, really turned out quite well. Um, so you're going to make up numbers for what? It's it's keeping people happy. It does obviously fill the coffers of FIFA. It's for money and power, isn't it? It's simply That's all it simply has to be. It can't be anything else. But I like the idea of 12... Four-team groups, mm. uh, because you need to play three games. You can't just play two games and then you're gone, you're home. Um, well, the, the problem they're saying with that is, of course, it blows the tournament out then in terms of the time. Uh, I mean, this one is 32 games in 32 days. If you uh, add uh, 12, if you have 12 teams of four at the moment, we've got eight teams of yeah. eight groups of four. I beg your pardon. Um, then you're going to have to schedule an awful lot more matches, <laughs> which of course makes perfect sense. Um, but you're, you're running the risk then of having a much longer tournament, of course, impeding upon club seasons. I mean, really, the 32-team format is perfect, it is. isn't it? It is. And that's what it comes back to. It's Look, 30, 16 back in days of old, 
uh, was probably too small, but then the world was a much smaller place. And yeah. Expanding to 32, um, is, it is, it's the perfect number. It's optimum. And they should just leave it at that, and that's it. And I know some of these lesser nations might be making a lot of noise, uh, because they want to play in the World Cup. But the fact is they need to earn their, their keep. They need to earn their stripes to get into the World Cup in the first place and develop yeah. the game in their country, not get a free pass because FIFA want to expand it to 48 teams. The additional berths, of course, are going to largely come from the developing football world. That means Asia, that means Africa, that means CONCACAF, North and Central America. They almost double their allocations in 2026. OFC, Oceania, gets an automatic spot for the first time. And, of course, this is where the votes are. Um, I want to ask you a, a supplementary question, Cosy, about how this will impact upon the qualifiers. Now, of course, one of the reasons we went into Asia in the first place or wanted to go into Asia was because we wanted a more competitive but also fairer uh, qualifying system that develop, helped to develop our football. Now, in 2026, AFC is going to get eight and a third spots. I'll come on to the third spots in a moment. But that's surely going to equate to less meaningful qualifying matches. Of course it is. You're not going to, you're going to get... They're not dead rubbers, but you, you might actually have... You get a, a better team in the group that... Um, like gets a big lead up early, so you're going to have a time. Uh, there are going to be times where some of the games are uh, almost a waste of time. Mm. Um, I, I, it, it, it comes back to the simple thing that, that you, Australia was right going into the AFC. There was, I had no doubt about that. We needed to play um, a lot more games in qualifying. And if you ever needed, anyone ever complained about Lowy doing that, the proof is in the pudding in this World Cup campaign. It has, has been fantastic for us. The whole qualifying process, the third place playoff process, and now how it's panned out, you know, Graham Arnold had a long-term plan. Um, so it has worked for us. Um, but just simply getting a free spot, I mean, the Kiwis might get in, which would be good, and they wouldn't have to go there. And they missed out. They were unlucky. It was, uh, who was it? That Costa Rica. Yeah. yeah, and they were so unlucky not to qualify. But that was what we complained about because we had to go and play, say, Uruguay in 2005, for example, the fifth-placed um, CONCACAF team or something like that. So um, it will help in that regard. It might help develop the region a bit, but um, there, you're right. There will be a lot less meaningful qualifying matches played and a lot of extra travel and a lot of imposition on domestic competitions as well in this area. Just seems a real shame to me, but as ever, money talks. And by the way, those thir one-third spots and, and several of the confederations have got, uh, for oh. example, eight and a third spots or five and a third spots. Those extra qualifying places will be decided with a qualifying tournament held at a central venue, which, of course, is another money spinner, yeah, of isn't it? Of course it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's TV rights as well. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there we go. Um, hopefully we will not see another disgrace of Hihon, uh, as it was so called in 1982. Older uh, listeners might remember the, the infamous game between Austria and West Germany when the two nations clearly colluded uh, to send Algeria home, a country which had already completed its program of games it seems a damn shame but there we go what can we expect with fifa that's your hot topic for guzman y gomez today home of clean healthy burritos bowls that athletes say yes to so let's talk socceroos and as i'm sure you're aware by now sadly the dream is over but what a night we had at the ahmed bin ali stadium
To the top of the centre circle, Fernandez gives it over to Messi, who's dropped in deep and now threads it down the left sideline to Alejandro Gomez. Skips in right foot, takes a shot. It's the first shot of the game and it's ballooned over the crossbar. Corner for the Aussies. McGree gets it in. Back post. Suta rises up, knocked it down and it's hit the legs of an Argentinian defender and bounces out and back into midfield. Second phase now in play for Argentina. Messi squares it up. Back towards the feet of Messi. Lionel Messi with the shot. And it's Lionel Messi. The magic of Messi cannot be stopped. The green and gold wall of Australia has been breached. Lionel Messi, after 35 minutes, slips it between the defence and beyond Matt Ryan into the bottom left corner. And it's Argentina 1, Australia 0. Bayich into rolls. He goes back to Matt Ryan. He has to take a touch. He's been dispossessed and it's gone past him. And it's a second goal for Argentina. Julian Alvarez makes it 2-0. And it is a debacle at the back for Australia. Matt Ryan overwhelmed by the two-man press of Argentina. He was dispossessed, the Australian goalkeeper, inside his own box. And all Julian Alvarez had to do was take possession, swivel, and stroke it into the open net. And Messi has it again. Backs out of traffic, turns to face forward, gets through the centre circle, and passed a few more. Lionel Messi continues to go. Ball spills out to the left, comes back to Messi, tries to skip past Suta, puts the brakes on, and the late tackle came in eventually, and it's out over the byline. Lionel Messi is toying with Australia. Scooped up the left sideline, clipped away by Molina back into midfield for Moy, Bayic burst past Molina, good turn of foot there from Aziz Bayic, looks up, gets a cross in clearance not, uh, oh it's like deflection oh, and it's a goal for yes. Australia Craig Goodwin has scored from a long way out, heavy deflection, completely wrong footed, Emiliano Martinez Enzo Fernandez, the midfielder is the culprit and Australia have a goal in this round of 16 clash, good interplay from Australia on the left, a little 1-2 and now Bayic is getting inside the area, Bayic keeps on going Cuts back, takes the shot, oh. and it's just deflected wide. As is Bayic had beaten the whole team. He had gotten goal side, he'd skipped past three of them, four of them, and then his shot was deflected by the slide tackle of Lissandro Martinez. Jackson Irvine, you guys gave it a hell of a shake out there. Yeah, uh, we gave it everything. Just so we have every minute of this competition. I'm so proud of all the players, all the staff. Um, but yeah, just not enough on the day. You're within a kick of taking that to extra time. Yeah. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about the performance on the whole? You went toe-to-toe with world number three there. I think we did everything we could have. Um, we set up to be compact and disciplined in our shape. We were excellent. Defensively, we gave up very little until, obviously, the end you have to have a go with the last 15 minutes. But I think we did everything we could to give ourselves a chance in the game. And when Argentina is celebrating like this uh, victory against Australia, I think it shows what kind of opposition we gave them today. This team of yours has captured the heart of the nation. How do you feel being part of a team that's really helped Australian football back on the map? Yeah, it's difficult to comprehend everything at the moment. It's all quite raw. Um, but yeah, I hope we made everyone proud. Look, I have to be very proud of the players. Uh, you know, we played against the number three in the world and you know, the first goal was just uh, from Messi was a quality goal. But again, you know, the mistake cost us. You put Australian football back on the map with the team's performances through this tournament. How does that make you feel? Yeah, look, I just hope that everyone back in Australia really respects what we've done and uh, are very proud of us as well. We took it to them. I uh, felt that we finished off well and we had a, a great chance at the end there to equalise. But, you know, I've got to be very, very proud of the boys. I'm just so grateful at uh, the effort they've put in for me. Cam, uh, what are your thoughts tonight? 
bloody proud, to be honest. Um, you're never happy with a with a defeat, but it's, it's the it's the way we lost, I guess. Um, if you gave me a a two one loss to Argentina in the round of 16 at the start of this thing, I would have taken it with both hands. Um, second goal was unfortunate, very unfortunate, but that that's football, and we we. We had them scared at the end, which is an incredible thing to think about when you look at the yeah. look at their team. Two big chances were there. I mean, Aussie's Bayich is wrong. That could oh. have been the goal of the tournament. Oh, that that, that was incredible. That was incredible. Yeah, Bayich, um, Paul at the end there. I'm very keen to see some replays of that one. I'm not quite sure if the keeper had it covered or not, but um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm as happy as you can be after a defeat, basically, basically. And, and it was a privilege to be in that crowd and to watch. Messi in action. That was a joy. Where do we where do we go from here as a football nation? Well, hopefully to the US, Canada, and Mexico in four years. Um, and, and Arnie's identified some issues um, with with with, uh, with youth development. I don't know what the answers are, are to be honest. Um, but we've obviously got the cattle to to, to shake things up a bit. Um, we need depth. Hopefully, this run inspires. A few kids like the 2006 boys did. Thanks. Hey guys, can I get your thoughts? Close, no cigar. We pushed, we pushed, and a little bit of luck. We would have, we would have been able, you know, at least got to uh, extra time. And who knows? Great effort by the boys. They did really well. Second half, we, you know, it, Messi made a difference. He's just magical. Yeah. He created a goal out of nothing. He, you know, he made position. Little, little, you know, taps and you know, back heels and all the rest of it. And that's a difference. No, Messi, we, we have a big chance tonight. He is a super player. Yeah. What a campaign, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, all the way along, we put in a goal in every game, so you can't ask for much more. And I think uh, we've, we've uh, left it all out on the pitch. So I think we've done as much as we can. I mean, I don't want to point out any other things because I think everyone gave it their best. So. Did, did did we ever dream that we'd get this far? Uh, we dream, we just never never happened. So, we, <laughs> so it happened this time. So that was a good thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, everyone always dreams. Hold up the World Cup, round of 16. That's our World Cup, I think. So, but 32, 10 more minutes, we might have been there. Back down to the eight. Is the next generation there to to take us forward and perhaps get beyond the round of 16 next time? Oh, I definitely think so. Um, the future looks very bright. Um, next generation will leave us in good stead and can't wait for it. First World Cup and looking forward to the next one. Go Socceroos. What, what, what was your highlight of the, of the World Cup? Just the whole atmosphere. It was, it was amazing. It was electric. Um, never been to anything like it. And I'm looking forward to my next one. Hopefully with the green and gold. One more question. Does Arnie stay? Yes. He stays. He's developing a team. He's taking him through the Olympic stage. Um, you know, we we did better than I expected. We did extremely well, and it needs to stay to develop the team. So they've got to give him another two, three years, maybe after the Asian Cup, and see what happens. Yeah, the fans disappointed, but uh, proud of the Socceroos, and rightly so. John Cosmina, uh, Graham Arnold's team gave it a right good go, particularly at the end. But uh, Argentina just had a bit too much. Yeah, it was a game of unbelievable quality and such emotional highs and lows, Simon. It, um, I'm drained, completely yeah. drained, to be honest. But it, um, it was a great battling performance by Australia. Unbelievable. Um, once again, I think if you refer back to the French game, 
um, there's a, a, a gap in quality. And the Argentinians last night, they managed the game so well. They're, they're street fighters. They won all their one-on-one battles and um, they made life difficult for the Aussies. But to, to be um, fair to the Australians, when we had a real crack at them late in that game and we had them on the back foot, they were panicking. And we were so unlucky not to get something out of that. I thought to myself when Craig Goodwin's deflected shot went in that um, maybe that was just that little break of luck that we needed and uh, we could go on from there. Azic Bayic after that was unlucky not to get an equaliser. Goodness me, that was almost the goal of the tournament, wasn't it? Well, it, it would have been. <laughs> if he'd have scored that, that would have been, they were comparing him to Lionel Messi. Yeah. Um, would have been no danger about it. And then Garin Quall right at the very death, a great save from Martinez and uh, the timing was perfect. He made it look simple. The keeper, he's off his line, Quall had his back to goal and as he turned, he was, he was on him straight away so he had that angle blocked perfectly but um, it was just a fantastic performance from the Aussies, but the, I guess the key for me is um, not just the outcome, obviously, of, of the game, but um, what it's done for the game in the country. And uh, look at the um, all of the posts of all of the live sites around the, the Australia, and it uh, it's amazing scene. It's never been seen before. Yeah. Uh, we'll come on to the the aftermath. I just want to ask you a couple more questions about the game itself. Uh, in the end, w- was the difference Leo Messi? I mean, yeah, he was he was it, superb again, wasn't he? It was. I, mean, I spent a lot of time during that game just watching his movement and how he drifts in and out of positions, and he adjusts constantly. And people say he walks a lot, but um, he's constantly adjusting his position in relation to the ball and where the ball's likely to fall. He's one of those players that can pick up where play's going to end up, um, not how it's going to get there. You'll know how it'll get there, but he, he can predict where it's going to end up, and he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And, and you take his goal. I mean, what a finish that was. It was um, it was so clever. He picked his spot. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Um, he put it through the legs of Big Harry Suter, but left Matt Ryan unsighted. But it was the only thing he could do, and he saw that gap. His timing is impeccable, and he just sees... Things are half a second earlier than anybody else in the world. Uh, the other question I wanted to ask you was, uh, that was the first goal, but the second goal, of course, was was down to a mistake, and Graham Arnold afterwards admitted that that had really cost Australia uh, dearly. It's uh, it's Matty Ryan's error, you know, trying to take an extra touch. And again, we, we go back and we spoke about this after the French game, uh, you know, the fact that we, we continue to try and play out from the back. It was... Graham's game plan to try and maintain possession in that back third of the pitch and, and open them up. I think Matt just got panicked in that situation. I mean, Kai Rolls uh, rolled him the ball back and it probably could have been, a, it was probably a little bit overweighted and it, it forced him into a position where, um, what do I do? Do I take a touch or do I get rid of it? Um, he thought he could get away with it. Um, to Argentina's credit, to be honest, I think they actually pressed a lot higher in the second half and they made life difficult for us in our back third because um, I think they recognised that we did get through. We did break them down a bit in that first half, getting the ball out from back to front. And uh, and so they were on top of him. It wasn't just uh, the goal scorer. There was another player around as well. So And the pressure was, was relentless. So, yeah, you're right, Simon. Um, you got to pick your moments when you play out from the back. That probably um, should have gone to Rosette, to be honest. Yep. But it's history now. What can you do? Uh, the other thing that we enjoyed a lot last night um, was the atmosphere. The Argentinian fans were incredible, weren't they? And you and I spoke at the end and we were saying that really... This is the sort of stuff that we would love to develop. We've got it in certain parts of, of our game in Australia, but 
the intensity of their support last night, the fact that they live and breathe football. Um, maybe this World Cup can kickstart some of that uh, again in Australia. You'd like to think it would. Um, I mean, I talked about, we've talked about Germany um, and the aftermath of the success of the golden generation there. And you look at what's happened in the country in this World Cup and I look at the reaction of the live sites and the texts I got off of mates of mine in Brisbane, for example, that went to King George Square. and um, it, That's never happened before in, in Australia. And so we can cash in on that. The difference between Australia and Argentina, you know, we've got, you know, like we've got football in our blood, but not like they have. They're born with it. They're, it's in their DNA and it's historical. It's been there for over 100 years. You know, it's... it's they are brought up with football. There is nothing else. There is That's their religion. Um, we're not at that stage in Australia. It's always going to be hard to emulate that. And we're not going to get there because we're a different type of country. You know, we're far more uh, diverse, a lot more multicultural, a um, lot more different in the way that we think about things and see things. And we've got other football codes and sports that, we, uh, that, that football has to compete against um, for numbers and support and money and all sorts of things. So um, it's going to be difficult, but if we can get, if we can get 10% of that, it would be improve mm. our game enormously. It sure would. Uh, one last one on this, uh, Cosy. Uh, overall, yes, we're disappointed because of the results against Argentina, but what a wonderful tournament this is, but what a wonderful unexpected tournament this has been for Australia. Um, how do we build on this? And, and in your opinion, is Graham Arnold uh, the man to take the Socceroos forwards, but maybe by giving him an extended contract. Look, they probably could, and you know, Arnie may or may not take it. It depends on what's in the back of his head. He's, mm-hmm. it's been a hard, difficult road for him. You know, it's uh, the, the worst qualifying campaign in the history of the world. Not just in Australia. It was, it was a shock of you know more games, more countries, more miles. Um, the COVID stuff, the, the third place qualifying rounds in the UAE back in June against the UAE in Peru back in June. Um, and now this, you know, the hammering that we copped after the 4-1 defeat in the opening game against France. And then all of a sudden things turn around. It was a long-term plan, Graham, hadn't it? It worked. Um, whether he wants to go on with it again or not, I don't know. Um, in terms of how we build on this, um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the cost of football for kids in Australia and obviously your, your, your scandal mongers in the mainstream media have brought up about that front page stuff. And You know, you get your normal battles with the AFL releasing their draft or their draw or whatever it was the other day. Um, it's all pretty childish and petty stuff. But um, the one thing that's come out of this is that, you know, the people are now having a good look at how we how we build this football culture that we've, we've touched on. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's got to come. We need a, we need far more support from government, and at federal and at state level, it, the money has to be spent because we are so underfunded in terms of our participation rate. It's ridiculous. You know, athletics, cycling, all these sorts of sports get a lot more money than football does. Yet, um, you know, in a political sense, if we had a football culture, it could do far better for the country than a hundred different foreign affairs ministers. Um, at any one time could do. It's it's amazing what would open, what doors could open if Australia was recognised internationally as a football country. Here, here. Well said, Cosy. Um, well, that's the wrap of uh, the game. Australia then uh, go out and uh, Argentina go forward to the quarterfinals. 
and a meeting with the Netherlands, but uh, a tournament that we will never, ever forget. And all the more memorable, again, because it was so unexpected. Uh, don't forget to download Keep Up, home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docu-series, A-Leagues All Access. Today on Keep Up, a review of round three of the Liberty A-League women's competition with Remy Simpson securing bragging rights for Sydney FC on her return to Australia. And David Davutovic traces the path of Matt Leckie from Red Rooster to the World Cup. That's all available on the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. You're listening to The Global Game thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Dufres crosses in, now the shot comes in from the Dutch, and it's Daly Blinds who scores. And yet again, it's another low cross from Dufres on the right flank, and Daly Blind, the left back, has buried the second for the Netherlands right before half time. To De Jong, and now Blind sizes up across, back post all by himself. Oh. It's a goal for Denzel Dufres, and that might have sealed the game. There's your man of the match. Two assists and a goal. Netherlands three, USA one. Denzel Dumfries all by himself. Uh, oh, slight deflection. Oh, and it's a goal for yes. Australia. Craig Goodwin has scored from a long way out. Heavy deflection, completely wrong-footed. Emiliano Martinez. Enzo Fernandez, the midfielder, is the culprit. And Australia have a goal in this round of 16 clash. Welcome back to the Global Game at the World Cup. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Well, Cosy, let's uh, look back on the other game uh, in the round of 16. Uh, Netherlands defeating the USA by three goals to one. Uh, and I did like a line in the Guardian UK today that said, well, if that's boring football, then Louis van Gaal will demand a lot more of it. He's had a bit of stick, as old Louis, for the style of his team uh, so far at this World Cup, but they were terrific against the Americans. Yeah, they were. Look, I went out on a limb and, and tipped the Americans, um, and to a point, I was almost there, but they outstated the Dutch completely, but um, I did have a disclaimer in that uh, that prediction that um, Louis Van Gaal's a wily old fox, and he was. <laughs> the way they scored their first goal, I mean, they expected the the Americans to come at them at 100 miles an hour, and they did. Um, and they just picked them off one by one. You know, it went from back to front, and and what a great finish from uh, Memphis it was. The thing is that. Um, that, you know, the Americans, it was like the Big Bad Wolf and the Three Little Pigs. They were huffing and puffing. Well, the Big Bad Wolf was the Americans trying to huff and puff and blow the house down. And the Dutch just sat back and soaked up the pressure. And they did what they felt like. And, and that was, I guess, the, 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 the course of the whole game. Mm. Um, the Americans just kept battling away. And they had more shots, but they just couldn't break the Dutch down in where it counted the most in that back third of the pitch. And um, the Dutch controlled play most of the time. And their 3-1 victory was thoroughly deserved. I've enjoyed watching the Americans at this World Cup. It's been uh, great. Th- that press, and we, we've spoken about it at length, the, the midfield trio in particular, the way that they have pressed and harried opposition teams has been a delight to watch. And they're only a young side as well, so they've probably got another World Cup or two in them. Uh, it's just that they've, they've on occasion, lacked that uh, cutting edge. Well, they haven't got the finesse, and it's, it's they're not dissimilar to Australia in a lot of regards yeah. in that, um, you know, the potential's there, um, but it needs to be nurtured. 
um, the game is developing over there. They're same as us. They've got other sports that are much, much bigger than football. Uh, but, you know, they're trying to grab a toehold into the, the sporting landscape there like our game is in Australia. And um, so, look, I think there is a lot to build on for them. This coach has done a great job. Uh, like you said, they've got some great younger players in their side, and um, it's a it's an it's an all-out attack. Which you, you know, you, it's a charge of the light brigade stuff that you get with the Americans. You know, the cover is going to save the day, and you, you see you hear the, the trumpets. Yeah, you can hear the trumpet in the background. Exactly. Um, if they could get that little bit of, um, I guess, um, maturity that comes with a long time experience in the game. Um, I think they're always going to be difficult to play against and, and that will cause a few upsets in future World Cups. They have in the past. Uh, Memphis Depay with that wonderful goal on 10 minutes, uh, opening the scoring for the Dutch. Danny Blint on the half-time, then Denzel Dumfries, who was terrific again against the Americans. Haji Wright with the American consolation. Uh, one more on this one. It's now Netherlands against Argentina, of course, in the quarter-final. Uh, who's your pick for that one? That's going to be an interesting game. It's a tough game. You know, there's been, I was watching um, replays of our game, talking about that that quarterfinal and um, you know memories of 1978 mm-hmm. um, when the Argies beat the Dutch in the finals. And um, look, I, I think Holland are a great team to watch in certainly last night, but they're not going to have the freedom um, or the space or the time. Um, to move a ball like they did against the Americans. The Argentinians are so much smarter. Like I said earlier, they're, they're street fighters. They're, they are so streetwise in terms of when to slow the game down, when to speed it up. And, and it's funny, we, you know, you talked about our discussion about them after the game last night, and um, you said you always felt that, and I agree, that um, they always had another gear when they needed it. Yeah. And when they lifted it last night and they upped the tempo, it's, they just flick a switch and, and bang, you're under the pump straight away. So um, I think Argentina are going to come out on top in this one. OK. Memories of Marseille 1998, Holland against Argentina. I was at that game when Dennis Bergkamp scored that amazing yeah. goal. Let's hope it's uh, a game similar to that one uh, in this World Cup. Uh, thanks for the moment, Cosy. Now let's continue our review of the Asian nations at this World Cup. Uh, of course, Japan have surprised everyone by winning a very tough section involving Spain, Germany and Costa Rica. Here's how Asian game podcast journalist Michael Church has seen their campaign. Um, Iran uh, did get one win at this tournament, but ultimately went out in the group stage. Uh, hard not to feel a sliver of sympathy for Carlos Queiroz, given the off-field problems that he's had to deal with. How do you assess uh, Team Melly's campaign? As you say, it's just been it's been so difficult for for them, and and, and as you say, you know, you feel for Carlos, and, and and actually even more so the players, because with all of the political issues going on in Iran. These, these are footballers and, and people are looking at them and they want them to be something that you know should, should we really be expecting a, a, you know a group of 26 footballers to come here and carry not just the hopes of a nation because they're already doing that from a footballing perspective but but to to, to stand up potentially to a, to a political regime on the world stage when all they want to do is come to the world cup test themselves against the best in the world and see if they can do something that nobody from their country has ever done before which is qualify for the round of 16. they had huge expectations and huge pressures on their shoulders that i don't think anybody can fully understand or appreciate um, and you know, and I think that really weighed heavy on them, especially in the game against England when they lost 6-2. They bounced back really well, and they, they, they played well against Wales. Wales weren't great, and they weren't great throughout the whole tournament. It was still a very good win under the circumstances. 
But then against the Americans, look, they, they, they just they met a better team. They got largely played off the pitch. It was only one nil, but but it could have been it could have been more. So from that perspective, you know, they were they were unfortunate. I think in some respects, I think the the U.S. have really clicked since since coming here. They really didn't look good in their friendlies back in September, and I know they came with the press in the U.S. having sort of fairly low expectations. Um, but. The sad thing, I think, for this Iran team, in addition to all of the issues that the players have had to deal with, it, this is this is this team's last go. This team will be dismantled. You, you know, the vast majority of these. I think it's the oldest team or the second oldest squad of the, of the World Cup, along with the Belgians. Um, and so there's going to be need to be a, a massive regeneration of the squad. And so it's going to be interesting to see where they end up after this. Just finally, uh, Qatar. Uh, obviously, we, we've dealt with Australia uh, earlier on in the show, and we, we know lots about Australia. But I want to ask you about uh, Qatar. A very disappointing mm. tournament, particularly with such a long build-up and such a hype around the tournament. So the problems as well. Uh, they looked in the first game as though they were rabbits in the headlights a little yeah. bit and never really recovered from that, did they? No, no, they didn't. And look, you put yourself in their shoes. You know, this is this is the end of a. I mean, everybody calls it a 12-year project because it's it's 12 years. In fact, I think it's 12, 12th year anniversary tomorrow from whenever they were awarded the uh, the hosting rights. It's probably even longer than that when you look at whenever the Aspire Academy opened back in 2005, 2006. And many of those those guys have come through, you know, those first waves of players that were coming. So this was the culmination of maybe 15 years of of development and 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 expectation and pressure, and it's all boiled down into. I mean, look. This country has spent over 200 billion US dollars, not preparing for the World Cup, but preparing, but, but building an infrastructure for an entire country. A fraction of that's gone in the World Cup. It's still a huge amount of money. It's still a huge amount of pressure. It's still a huge amount of expectation. You've got the Emir of Qatar in the crowd. You've got world leaders from all over the world. The whole world is watching this. The only game probably more pressured at a World Cup then the opening game is the final. Everyone watches it. We saw it with Saudi Arabia four years ago when they played in Russia and they crumbled, they lost 5-0. That also wasn't a reflection of the standard that they were at. The Qataris just, they froze. They were a little fortunate. They, they had, a, they had a, a, an Ecuadorian goal, or was it goal? I can't even remember what it was. Ruled out with, yeah. with, with, uh, with VAR. They still lost. They were pretty meek. They, weren't, they didn't play the kind of football that we've seen them play. Uh, certainly when they won the Asian Cup in 2015, when they were dynamic and quick and they played some really good, particularly as the tournament went on, they played some great football. I think in some respects, they've probably peaked already, so they've gone beyond. Um, I'm not entirely sure they got their preparations right either. They didn't really play very many competitive games. They had long training camps behind behind closed doors. They weren't letting anybody in. And so when they were exposed into the glare of the global spotlight, um, unfortunately they crumbled. And, and they just couldn't recover from that. Um, their other, their other games, their performances were slightly better, but but ultimately, when you get off, when you start a tournament of the magnitude of the World Cup, on that kind of footing, it takes a lot to be able to sort of pull yourself back into it. And unfortunately, they couldn't do it. That's uh, Michael Church. Before the break, let's head to Tom Haylock for the latest odds. Thanks to Betfair, find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800-858-858. Thanks, guys. Yeah, terrible luck for Australia, obviously, in the FIFA World Cup. But uh, Brazil are favourites as we look at the winner's market overall. Thanks to Befair.com.au. Brazil, $3.60. Argentina, $6.00. France, $6.40. Spain, $8.20. England, $10.00. Portugal, $14.50. And the Netherlands, $17.00. 
Don't forget, we've teamed up with Stats Insider. Head to betfair.com.au forward slash hub for all your latest. I've got a couple of tips for the next couple of games. France versus Poland coming up. We're backing both teams to score here at Betfair. So $2.44 at the moment on betfair.com.au. France versus Poland, both teams to score, anticipating a high-scoring game there. Slightly over the 2.5 goal line is the edge, but both teams to score at France versus Poland. England, Senegal. We're actually laying England here against Senegal at $1.58. We think that's the play for that match. Don't forget to head to betfair.com.au forward slash hub for all things Stats Insider, all data analytics, all tips, betfair.com.au. That update thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800 858 858. Welcome back to the global game at the World Cup. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsors of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So, Cosy, let's uh, preview the two big round of 16 ties to be played on Saturday. Uh, England against Senegal at the Albait Stadium and France against Poland at the Althamama Stadium, uh, both, of course, in Doha. Uh, the first game, England against Senegal. England will start, obviously, the strong favourites. Uh, how does Gareth Southgate play this? Does he stick with the same team that defeated Wales or does he restore Bukayo Saka and Rash- uh, Raheem Sterling to the team or does he stick with... Rashford and Foden, does he go with a back three or a back four? How do you think he'll play it? <coughs> Excuse me, Simon. Um, look, it's a tough one for him, but I think this is sudden death. You've got to have settled on, on your best lineup. Look, Wales, it was a tough one uh, to judge because Wales offered fairly feeble opposition. Um, but I think Phil Foden must start. And then do you play him up front? Who misses out? Then Rashford, Saka. Because um, if Harry Kane's fit, I think he's obviously going to play him. Um, no matter what. So um, I think he needs to start getting his house in order. He can't keep making tactical and personnel changes now. It's got to get settled because um, they've got to do the business. I mean, I don't think Senegal are going to offer um, really difficult opposition. I think they're a half-decent side, but they're going to have to be right on top of their game. Might have been different with Sadio Mane. Well, it would have because he's a great individual player. I mean, Senegal scored five goals in the qualifying rounds, which Mm. is not too bad, but, um, you know, three of those, I think, were... um, I can't remember the game it was now, but no matter what, um, England have got to get their house in order and they've got to do it tonight. I think they'll get a result no matter who he starts. Do you think the key battle is Harry Kane against Kaladu Koulibaly, who of course plays for Chelsea, Harry Kane at Tottenham, and as we've remarked before, that Kane doesn't look 100% fit in uh, in this World Cup as yet. It was a bit of a London rivalry yeah. reborn in Qatar, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah look, it probably could be. Um, we're just going to wait and see how it pans out. I mean, England have got more than Harry Kane to, to win games for them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there is also a suggestion I've seen in the UK press that uh, maybe he leaves Kyle Walker out, who's only just back, in order to try and rest him for the France game and uh, take on Kylian Mbappe, because the theory is he's probably one of the few players who's quick enough and strong enough to be able to deal with Mbappe. He might be, but he needs to play games to get yes, that, exactly. the, uh, the, the, the continuity going. I don't think it will happen, but we'll see. Uh, France against Poland at the Althumama. Uh, France, of course, were able to make a lot of changes for their final game against Tunisia, which somewhat backfired as they lost. Uh, you'd imagine that all the big stars will be back against Poland. Um, just wondering your thoughts on Ibrahim Kunate. It was very impressive in that poor performance against Tunisia. Does he get the nod at centre-back over Dayot Upamakano? I don't know what... Um... 
Deschamps is going to do because, um, I mean, it, I, I saw his face at the end of that game uh, when they panned to him and um, he was hurt. They didn't expect to lose that match no matter who they started. Um, look, he did a great job. As playing in central defence, uh, he might that might be the only change from a defensive point of view because he did exceptionally well. Um, but the other guys will come back in, and I don't think it'll be a, a real problem for France at all. Poland parked the bus um, in the warm-up against Argentina. <laughs> they were they just sat back and tried to soak it up, and they were lucky not to have copped a half a dozen goals. They was they were poor in that game. If if you're Robert Lewandowski, of course, is there one? true world-class star, the, the polls. Are you a bit frustrated by that? Because he's, I mean, he's yet to really fire at this World Cup and he probably needs to if Poland are to have a chance, but you've got to give him some service. Well, that's it exactly. And the way that Poland set up, as I said, against Argentina, they just had numbers behind the ball. Lewandowski stays a little bit higher up the pitch. They almost play like a 4-4-1-1 and uh, he doesn't really have a lot of defensive responsibility. But you're right, if you're sitting too deep, you've got one, the lone ranger up front, it's really hard to get him the ball. He's got to do a lot of leg work just to get in position to receive it. Then he's got no support anyway. And I'm looking, thinking back to that game, there was a lot of times where Lewandowski was a two against one opposition and he just had nowhere to go so England and Pol- uh, sorry, England and France yeah, for yeah. you even no. despite your Polish heritage no, no I, I can't see Poland having the quality to, to get over to France at all well that is it from Cozzy and I in Doha not just uh, today but from Qatar in general we're on the plane home Cozzy tonight uh, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you and uh, you've battled through with the, with the flu and your voice almost going so thanks, mate. It's been terrific mate, to have your insights. It's Simon. I've had a ball. It's great, actually. You know, I'm watching not only the Aussies and the Socceroos do so well and exceed all expectations, but um, just being so close to such fantastic football players and and being in a football culture, it's it's just a great environment. I recommend it. Thoroughly recommend it to anybody. Absolutely. If you've not been to a World Cup, make sure you get to one. Uh, thanks for your insights over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the global game at the World Cup, though, does continue tomorrow. Uh, we've got new hosts while we're making our way back to Australia. Uh, James Dodd and Adam Peacock are going to be taking you through uh, to the end of the tournament. I will be back on uh, Tuesday nights as the regular Global Game Show continues with myself and Alex Brosk and Alex Molchanov. So look forward to your company then. In the meantime, from Cosy and me, enjoy the rest of the World Cup.